Hello and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security. I'm here as always with Zhao for this particular episode on open source intelligence tools. How you doing? All good. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. And yeah, this is a pretty interesting topic. I believe we've mentioned it in the past. We might have talked about uh, uh, um, open source intelligence gathering in the past. Uh, we'll be looking at some of the tools that are used to do this and some of the gray areas around open source intelligence gathering. But yeah, we'll get into that. I think one of the best tools for this kind of thing is a very keen eye. You know, it's probably the best tool of all for this. Kind Absolutely. Of thing. Paying attention is, is probably the best open source intelligence gathering tool that you have. Um, okay, let's get some of things out of the way first. This is absolutely legal. You're not breaking any laws when you engage in open source intelligence gathering. The, the part about being open means that it's freely available. You're only looking at stuff that's out there in the open, whether it's social networking, stuff that's been posted online, a presentation that your target is giving, um, a flyer from the company that you're looking to, to investigate. All of that is freely available. So you're not going to be breaking any laws. There's no social engineering part to this. There's no hacking involved. There's none of that. This is just information that's freely available out there for anybody to see. You're just paying more attention than other people who are not targeting someone specific or some organization specifically. There's a lot of information as we're about to discuss that's extremely easy to get with very, very little effort and it could go a very long way. Um, as we were just talking right before we hit the, the start button. Um, one good example of freely available information is when you look at presentations given in at some conference or something like that. And you can find hundreds or thousands of these on YouTube. Um, if you have a laptop that's giving a presentation that just shows the taskbar at the bottom, even if it's just for a frame or two, you can get an awful lot of information just from that alone. Stuff like the operating system that's being used, what other software is running there, the time zone that it's in, the, um, if, for example, the, the Wi-Fi list pops up accidentally during the presentation, you can see what networks he the, the target has logged into or is um, or has available to log into. Say, for example, the Starbucks Wi-Fi shows there. Now you know that your target usually goes to Starbucks and uses the Wi-Fi there. That's a great spot if you're planning to drop a, a honeypot. Um, so, and all of that, just from one frame that accidentally made its way into the final video on YouTube. All of this stuff, freely available, you're just looking at the video, you're just paying attention to the video. Most people will just skip that to some glitch or something like that. If you pay attention, the amount of information that you can gather is tremendous. Right, like using NSLOOKUP or DIG to find the IP address of a website. That's out there. Your browser is resolving that. It's not secret. It's Your browser even knows what it is. Everybody knows what it is. It's easy to get. But all those information or pieces of information can just you know be used in, a, in bulk to basically have a um, an overview of that person and their habits, their website, where it's at, their software, just like you were saying. And that's a lot of information that's absolutely legal. Yeah. And the thing here is that even if it's not apparently readily why it's interesting or you don't realize at the moment that it's going to be helpful further along down the line, say that you're looking for openings for security breaches at a given system. 
the fact that you can get the, the versions of the software that is running there makes it so that when a new vulnerability comes up a week in the future, two weeks in the future, you can match it up against the list of, of software that's running on your target and see, oh, they are affected by this. This is something that I can exploit. And OSINT, open source intelligence gathering, it's just one aspect of intelligence gathering. There's covered intelligence gathering, there's human intelligence gathering. And if these terms sound familiar, it's because lots of different fields use this and to mean exactly the same thing. You'll hear, for example, intelligence agencies talking about this, how they gather intelligence about a specific target or, again, organization, whatever. It's always different types of intelligence gathering, some more legal than others. This one is completely legal. If it's ethical or not, well, that depends a lot on what you consider ethical. That varies a lot. Again, not illegal, but definitely a gray area. If you're going to go through the, the social network posts of somebody that works at that company and you're going to be looking at the photos for their family and their kids and their dog and their vacations and that, that might enter into stalker territory. Again, not illegal because it's really available for everybody, but is it ethical or not? That's a different discussion to have. It kind of reminds me of the time... Uh a couple of companies ago, way before I was on my own, where I, I received a phone call from a YouTube viewer asking me, you know, at work on the work number, asking me for help on the tutorial. And I'm thinking, how? <laughs> you know, because I, I, I obviously it's LinkedIn because, you know, my place of employment at the time was listed there. And I was also working on a project that required me to call a lot of vendors. I was setting up a data center. So I might be contacting this vendor for a rack, this vendor for the servers mm -hmm. and all these different things I needed. So the receptionist just sent the call right over to me because, you know, it's a common thing. I'm getting a lot of calls that are kind of unusual. So, but then I, I thought it was a vendor and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this will be the the, the UPS device or something that I, I needed to get. And then, oh yeah, in your video, you said this. And I'm like, wow, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a, another example, LinkedIn. I mean, people's places of employment are right there. Uh, and um, that's probably the first thing people update when they get a new job. Absolutely. It will probably know more about your past than you. Um, yep. Another thing that's, uh, that's relevant to point out is that this isn't just something that's useful if you're part of the the attacker of the attacker team if you're just looking to hack a place and you're scouting the place and doing reconnaissance work if you're doing risk assessment for your company for example this is something that you need to look at in fact big corporations and big companies will often have dedicated people just doing this specifically for the the c-level people to see what they are posting online if they are not posting anything that they shouldn't and they are controlling all of that so that it can be taken down immediately if they happen to to put too much information out there because it becomes a liability it becomes a risk to the company um i imagine musk for example is giving a lot of people a lot of headaches with all the stuff he's posting to twitter constantly um but you can be yeah. sure that there's a lot of eyes on top of all of his tweets just making sure that he's not leaking something that he shouldn't because yeah again it's not just the risk to to the company there's a personal risk involved imagine that somebody tweets hey now i'm going with my friend so and so having dinner at this place that's amazing or here's me with so and so having lunch or planning to go out or something like that if you're an important enough mark if somebody is trying to to reach you or to do something nasty to to your company or something like that 
you're giving out a lot of information that's going to make their life much easier. They'll know where to find you. They'll know when you'll be there. They'll know if they know where you are at the moment, they'll know probably where you'll be passing through to reach that point. That's a lot of information. And again, very risky. And this is part of risk management at the company. Sometimes I do this kind of thing when I want to find out what web server a website is using because it's just so freaking fast and I want to know if I can, you know, tune my server to be as fast if their web server is better than mine or, um, you know, when I first started going through YouTube channels and checking the description for what camera microphone they're using because I want to know. But then again, someone else could use that to get, oh, they might, that, that's a network enabled camera with this, that it has this firmware flaw in it and they could get that from someone's uh, YouTube description. Um, it, it's just like, I can't think of anything you could put out in the wild that can't be used against you. And that's exactly the point. That's why this field is so active currently. Um, another very interesting thing that, that's used heavily in, on open source intelligence gathering is the geolocation on images. Until a few years ago, we didn't see a problem with it. And then everybody starts to see that problem. And it's really massive. You're handing out information about where the picture was taken, by which device, and that will place somebody at a specific spot and that can lead to some stuff that shouldn't happen. Um, and this ties into um, to one of the tools that we'll be discussing further along on the episode. A few years back, most of the, the, the pictures that you could find online would have the geolocation image on them. So if you scan the metadata of those images, you could find the, the actual coordinates where the picture was taken and the device and the settings and all of that. Um, one of the tools that, we've talk, that we're going to talk a bit, actually, we can talk about it right now. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the Internet Archive. One of the oh, things yeah. that the Internet Archive has is the Wayback machi Machine. Um, it's like a search uh, engine where you type in a URL and it gives you some versions of that uh, uh, URL in the past. So if you want to see how, say, Microsoft.com looked 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you put it there, you click the date, and it will show you the website 15 years ago. This is risky for a few different aspects. One of them is that, for example, geolocation and images that they had there that were not considered a risk at the time might be a risk now, and you'll still be able to see those pictures today through the Wayback Machine. Another thing is that imagine something that happens currently like every other day, people leaking passwords or secrets in documents that they shouldn't and putting that online. Um, that happens daily. And then people realize and they take down the, those documents so that they are no longer accessible. Yeah, and go to the Wayback Machine and you'll see how the web page looked yesterday where, when the document was posted there and you'll still be able to, to pick it up again. Um, so it's a really useful tool if you're doing this type of things because being able to find stuff that has been taken down or for some reason no longer available or if it's a different version or something like that, the, the Internet Archive is one of the places to go to find that information. Really useful tool. Yep. Uh, I would say GitHub also, not just because of, you know, people putting their passwords and API keys in the repository, but I'm talking about the people that did do that and then realized, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. Then they remove said passwords and API keys. But then all you have to do is go back in the commit history and you could pull up a previous commit if they didn't scrub it and still get that information because they might not have thought to go back and scrub the previous commits where that uh, was present. And, um, you know, that that happened to me accidentally where my email address was in 
in one of my Git repositories because I threw it up there and someone uh, let me know about it. I had to, I deleted the entire repository and then hit it and then uh, re-uploaded it, which is even easier to do. Um, it, ha it could happen to anyone. But it's interesting, right? There's um, this fourth dimension that gets added into the content on the internet. It's not just the content as it is right now, it's the content as it was in the past. And it's freely available and you can go and look at past versions of stuff. And that takes data security to a different level. You're not just thinking about how to secure the data as it is right now, but you must consider if you upload data now and you find that you made it by mistake or you leaked out too much information or something like that, you need to think about the places that you need to scrub that information from. It's not just removing it from your servers right now. That won't solve the problem if it has been indexed, say, for a service like the Wayback Machine. Um, this is something that you need to consider. So that yep. when something happens, when something gets posted and it shouldn't have been, you need more than just removing it from your server. Without giving anything away, there was a Git repository that we found that was deleted, and we yeah. were able. And I was amazed because uh, I I tried the same thing, but it, it worked when we tried yeah. it. I'm like, wow, that Git repository was literally deleted. But here it is, in, in all the code that's associated with it, right there, GitHub inside the Internet Archive. Absolutely, it's there. And it's incredible that even the website works. It's not just the, the way that the pages were rendered, but the, the JavaScript behind it actually works. If you click the buttons, it will execute the Git functions, and you can actually get the, the code that was there. It's not just showing you the, the front page. So it's a really, really interesting tool. If you have, if you're not familiar with it, if you never used it, just Google the Wayback Machine. You'll find it very easily. And you could literally watch websites over time as they started at GeoCities and then went to Squarespace, then went to WordPress, and you could totally see that evolution uh, play out throughout the years um, as many times as you want. It's like LEDs in <laughs> systems. Today we're adding LEDs to everything. And at the time when websites started to evolve, they started to lose the blink and the marquee elements and all of that. So they started to be a bit more friendly to the eyes. And you'll notice that evolution if you look at this for a while. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to go back and look at some websites and the mistakes that were made in the past that we thought that we had scrubbed and are still there available. Regardless, um, another interesting tool that I found, obviously, if you're in this field, you know about it. Um, again, this is not an endorsement. These are just tools that might make your life easier. This is not an endorsement. We're not getting any sponsorship for talking about this or anything like that. But if you're into open source intelligence gathering, this will help you. Uh, one such tool is Maltego, M-A-L-T-E-G-O. Um, it's a data visualization and extraction tool. It will automate some of the parts about getting information, like say you type in um, a domain and it will it will make it easier to find the IPs and the certificates and the expiration dates on the certificates and who has that that information mentioned on their social networks and people that say that they're employed there. And it gives you that information in a visual way. It's very nice to make to make schematics for presentations for, say, you're trying to do a risk assessment on your company and you want to show all the information that's out there about your company. And I don't mean the information that you want to be out there, but the one that you are not aware that is out there. And this can paint the, a pretty picture. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know how pretty that would be, but <laughs> it's not a pretty situation well, if there's too much information out there. Yeah. After a while, you might not find it pretty, but okay, let's change the word, the scary information that's out there. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we totally get it. Um, yeah, that that's one of them. I actually haven't uh, heard of that myself until now. So sometimes I'm I could be the student just as well as anyone else. Another tool that you, I know you've heard about, and probably everybody on the audience has heard about, is the Have I Been Pound website. Really mm -hmm. useful when you're part of a data breach. You type in your email, and it tells you, "Oh, you, too bad, your email was part of these twenty breaches." And yeah, true story. Three of them were. Three of mine were in there. I have to scrub now. So, <laughs> so check it. Believe me, check it. You, you'll be surprised. What's interesting about the Have I Been Pound is that it will not tell you the stuff that you were part of. It will tell you the stuff that any email was part of. So if you find an email of somebody that's working at a company and you type it in and it tells you that it was part of the breach, say, for Plex in 2015, all you need to do now is go to the dark web and buy that data dump and now you have the, the credentials for that user. Um, they don't restrict that. They have no way of restricting that to just checking your own email. So they have an email field, you type in the email and it will tell you if it was part of any data breach or not. As you can imagine, it makes life a lot easier. Yeah, a little bit too easy. Yeah. So again, have I been pound? Um, pretty useful service. It will scare you a lot if you type in your email and it tells you that you're part of some data breach but it can also be an offensive tool. Um, another one that's very useful, at least I find it very useful, is TinEye. What TinEye is, is a reverse image search. Instead of searching for something and getting images about it, you upload an image and it tells you where that image is present. How that's useful is, for example, in identifying people in a picture. Say you found somebody's social posts uh, and the, the faces are not tagged and you want to know who that person is because this is a meeting, uh, dinner, uh, people are in suits, so you imagine this is a business meeting of some kind and you want to know all the, the stakeholders that are present at that business dinner. Upload that, see where it's found, it might be part of a website where other people have posted more information about it and now you found it as well. So this is a very useful information gathering tool. Again, nothing illegal. All of these services are freely available. There's at face value, nothing absolutely wrong there, but you might get into some ethical conundrums if you go down this road. Again, depends a lot on what you're trying to do. For risk assessment, invaluable. Yeah, it's like all information can be used for the wrong purposes if um, depending on the person's goal. Um, you know, Internet Archive is there for good reasons. I mean, personally, I like going to uh, Sega.com and Nintendo.com way back, you know, when, when um, you know, years ago, just to kind of, oh, yeah, I remember the, how the website looked back then. It, it's just fun. it's just a lot of fun. And then, you know, as, as we're saying, then, you know, that could also be used for um, wrong purposes as well. It depends on the person getting the information and what they do with it that ultimately decides the ethical nature of that. Again, I just thought I should make this <laughs> obvious to to anybody. Not illegal, but the ethical part is something that can be discussable. Another thing that's very useful um, when you're looking at the website for somebody is what type of information can you gather other than the one that they are trying to show you. 
And what I mean by this is, what's the platform that's behind the website? Is it running WordPress? Is it running Joomla? Is it running another content platform? Is it running on top of Salesforce? All of that information is very useful when you're trying to find vulnerability, when you're trying to do vulnerability assessment and all of that, because then it can narrow down your search for vulnerabilities. So if you have a tool like, say, BuiltWid, which is the name of the tool, that you just type in a URL and it feeds you back the, the platform that's used for something, that's, again, invaluable and a time saver. Um, similarly to BuiltWid, is another one called PID. Um, this is something that's specifically targeted at executable files. So you run the program. This is not for websites. This is for software. You run the software and you point it to an executable file and it will tell you stuff like the compiler that was used, the language that the software is written in, what type of encryption has been applied to the file, um, the packer that was used to, to add the resources to the file. All very useful information if you're, say, doing malware analysis or trying to identify the, say, the tool set or the tool chain that's used at a development company. All of this provides you great information about that. Yeah, like finding out who's uh, affected by Rowhammer still. <laughs> you know, that, that, would, that right there would tell you exactly who, who's still affected by that and who didn't patch it. Um, another one that we've talked about, and this is like, again, Intelligence Gathering 101, is Shodan. Um, it's like Google, but for vulnerabilities and software versions. Um, the way that this works is that you go to Shodan when you want to find all potential targets or potentially vulnerable IP addresses running a specific version of a specific software or that have a specific open network port or something like that. And it has everything like that indexed. It can give you, for example, the, say, the, the banner text for all the, the SSH servers that are open to the internet so that you can filter it by specific versions that you're looking for. Um, I'd say that out of these ones, this is probably the one that if you're interested in this, you should start with and it's well worth the, the 20 bucks or so that they'll charge you to, to get an account and the paying account there. Um, very useful if you're into information gathering and even if you're not into information gathering just in having a way to see what's visible from your company to the outside um, just put in the, the url there and it, the information that it feeds back it can give you a good starting point to see what you need to close that is still available yeah i want to underscore that the importance of this because uh, you you should you know obviously with permission but you should have an account at your company because you could put in your IP addresses and, and get email alerts when something is opened up on that that wasn't open before. And it, you can get an alert, oh, port open. Uh, I didn't open that port. Why is that open? Why is it there? And then you could investigate that because the thing is, threat actors will check Shodan, okay? They will absolutely every time check Shodan. You should know what they're going to find if they do. <laughs> absolutely. Or else the alternative is that they will know more about your infrastructure than you do and you don't want to be in that position. Um, mm -hmm. Say you're assuming that all your SSH servers, for example, are running the, the latest version, and one of them you forgot to update and is still running a vulnerable uh, version that's vulnerable to something that you're not aware of. Shodan will filter that out. Shodan will show you that. Um, and it's very easy to use. Um, 
I mean, after a while, it becomes like Google. You just learn the the right stuff that you need to fit it in to get the proper output that you want and that it's actually useful. There's a learning curve to that, obviously. But mm-hmm. after you go past that stage, the information that Shodan can give you, it's, again, unrivaled by any other tool. And it's... Yep. And it's not just that. It's the the way that they have this setup. It's interesting. One of the, the things that we've talked, and I can't exactly tell you which episode it was. It was some time ago, and we've done quite a few by now. Um, but we've talked about some group, a hacking group that has been caught by the authorities. And the way that they, they were caught was that they had a website running on the dark web. And they used a specific image as a favorite icon for their website. And you might not realize this, but when you have different images for different websites, you can construct a hash from that image. Shodan will let you search for those hashes. And while the website that they were running was on the dark web, if you search for the hash on Shodan, it would point out a website on the actual open internet. And the authorities realized that it was the same website that was serving both sites. So they managed to track down that site, take it down, and by that they managed to catch the operators, and through that they caught the the threat actors. So it's one of the things that you can do with Shodan. It's information that you can get by yourself if you're looking for that, but there's no way that you can index all the favorite icons from the internet, and Shodan lets you do that. Again, very, very useful. And it's this type of scenarios that are a bit out, outside of the, the norm that tools like this will let you go through and let you implement properly. Yeah, it's like the only thing I could think of to protect against this is just to keep looking for your own information, just like we were saying earlier. Like, you know, do open source intelligence gathering, um, again, with permission, because you don't want to uh, raise the red flag, but just to find out what information is out there, what they, what you know, everyone else would find if they were looking and that could give you an idea of like, you know, what types of things you should focus on closing down or trying to get rid of. It's But it's still hard to get rid of things because if it's on the internet, it's pretty much eternal. So it's still difficult, but at least you know. Yeah. Um, probably the, the main tool today for, for intelligence gathering is social networks. People who just freely post information about themselves Every single time they go online, they'll try to post a new picture of something, that they'll complain about something. And the information that you give out with that, sometimes without your, you're not meaning to, to give out so much information, but I don't know, you might not mention the place you're in, you might not geolocate the images, but somehow it shows the bus stop behind you or something like that. And through that, you can gather where you are. And mm-hmm. because bus stops on different cities will be different and they will uh, sometimes have the company name there, you can track it down and people can point, pinpoint exactly where you were when you took that picture that you just uploaded to Facebook. Yeah. Um, and more than that, if you're usually posting stuff, say, before 7 a.m. and then again at 9 a.m. and then something like that, people can easily gather that, okay, this is the time that they take to to commute from home to work. They can establish the route that you take to work. Um, They can gather the place that you work at because you've posted it on LinkedIn. Then they can tell who you're interacting with, who you're going out to, to dinner with or to have lunch with. 
if you recall then when we talked about the the Caesar red team exercise the way that the the Caesar red teamers found out who the Caesar admins were were through the social posts the way that they interacted with the Caesar admins and got them to download their malware so that they could get their foot in the network was by finding out their hobbies through through social networking. Oh, this guy is interesting saying fly fishing. Okay, let's try to engage him with conversations about fly fishing. And they got some of the sysadmins to engage back and they got them to chat with them. And then they, got to, they convinced them to have a video call with them through a software that they had to download from a controlled website. Mm-hmm. But it all started with information that these guys had posted on social network, that the sysadmins themselves had posted on social network. And that was the trigger for the whole thing. So the stuff, the the amount of information that you put out there is much, much vaster and much, much valuable than you might assume at face value. You're not just posting your picture about the soccer game of your kids. You're telling people where you were and that your kids are into soccer and that you're probably also into soccer and that you're going to be spending an hour or an hour and a half while your kids are in practice just waiting in the car so you're not looking at your messages at the time. You're probably not looking at the the alerts that pop up in your monitoring screen at the time because you're just looking at the game. So again, lots of information that you can gather for something like that. And another thing that's even simpler is you could be at a restaurant complaining on social media about the service and, you know, your city where you live in is on your Facebook profile and they know that restaurant is, you know, X number of minutes away from your house and it's going to take you at least that long to get home. Next thing you know, you have nothing there at your house when you get there. It's it's like craziness. It's, It's insane. It's an actual risk. Um, for the IT risk is that people can establish patterns. Like I said, if somebody knows that you go to Starbucks, okay, that's a good place to set up a fake KP with the same name as the Starbucks network and just, uh, I don't know, intercept your traffic to Gmail or something like that. See if I can fish out some passwords. And you're handing out that information freely. You're not making them even try too hard to, to get that. So, nope. Yeah. yeah. Here's the coup- here's a digital coupon for a free frappuccino at Starbucks. Just just click on this and you'll be able to get it for free. You know, and it's it's a payload is what it actually is. It's it's yeah, man. Yeah. And there are in addition to the social networks, and the social networks are the absolute worst thing for this. But there are other tools that are really interesting for this. Google Street View, Google Maps, both very useful for operation, for open source intelligence gathering. Um, it will let you place people at specific places. It will let you identify where people work, where the actual offices for some, for some company are, and say you're interested in breaching a network at a specific target. If you go to one of these places and you find uh, that uh, an apartment building is right next door, you might want to rent a, a room there and just deploy your stuff there and try to reach the, the wireless network from there. So you're just finding a location right next to your target and try to, to do the attack from there. You don't need to get into the facilities if you, all you want is getting into the IT network. But getting through the, the firewall, at the perimeter firewall is one thing. Getting through the, the wireless network, it's a different thing. So you just need to be close, and with these tools, you can find the close location. Um, again, all freely available information. This is the, the part that's, that's scary. It's freely available. You're putting stuff out there that's, 
that has no value to you, you don't put the value that you should to it, and you're putting way too much information out there. We all are. It's not. Mm -hmm. We all yeah. are putting way too much information out there, and it can be used and weaponized against us. Yeah, you just have to be careful, especially going forward with what you put out there, just to have that conversation in your mind, you know, what is it that someone can do with this? And uh, just make sure you understand the risks, especially. And one of the things that can happen when you're doing open open source intelligence gathering is that you might be overwhelmed by the data. There are too many people working at the company, say that it has like a thousand employees or something like that, and you're pulling everybody's social network stuff, and you get like 500 different LinkedIn profiles and a thousand or twelve hundred um, Facebook pages and all of that, and it's just too much information to go through. But now you have stuff like ChatGPT that can summarize that information for you. So you don't mm -hmm. even have to go through all of it yourself. You can post, okay, here, ChatGPT, here are all the Facebook posts from this, from this person, tell me where it works, what his daily routine is, um, how long it takes from, how, from his house to his work, and it will do that. ChatGPT is really great at finding that information from stuff that you paste into. And it's just a matter of time until you start seeing scripts that will upload that information directly to ChatGPT and just give you back the answer so you don't even have to go through the website interface. And again, it's lowering the bar so much. People don't realize how much this is a game changer. And people tend to to undervalue how, how your job can be at risk from something like this. If you're doing intelligence gathering as a job, a full-time job, the way that AI can automate the majority of the stuff, of the of the steps that are done in this, might put you out of a job. You were talking the other day about doing an episode about job security, a different type of security. Mm -hmm. I think we really should, because right now yeah. is the time when most of the jobs are at risk, especially in our field, but not just our field. Um, but on this one again, ChatGPT, as it is right now, not accounting for any evolutions that it might have in next week and next month and two months from now, half a year, because it, if it follows the same trend, it's just going to explode. But as it is right now, it will sieve all the information so that you only have to focus on the important one. It will find you the patterns, it will find you the routines, you just need to ask the right questions. The information is free to get, you just need to paste it in there and ask the, the right questions and ChatGPT will give you the, the information. Yeah, and speaking about the job security episode, it very well could be the next one, but then again, breaking news could could mean that it's not. And I know we hit, we're going to have a lot more talk to talk about with Western Digital because there's some stuff brewing over there, <laughs> yeah. just like we we said there would be. And, you know, there's, there's all these things going on. Um, but yeah, definitely that episode will happen. Absolutely. Um, again, different type of security. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, right now, ChatGPT can help with many of the things that we've done, but the, the tools that we've mentioned, uh, Maltego, Have I Been Pwned, Tinai, the Internet Archive, Builtwid, PID, Shodan, the social networks, all of these are useful tools. And the only thing that is that you need to look at them for stuff that they don't advertise as their intended purpose. But intelligence gathering is all about that. Finding, paying attention, like we said at the start. YouTube videos are another great source for information. That, that example about the presentations that just show a tiny bit of information, um, that's not the only thing that you can glimpse from that. Um, 
<laughs> we were joking about that. Say you have a, a video, a tutorial video, where you're showing a key and you blur that key. Imagine mm -hmm. you start the blur just one frame too late. And for one frame, you showed that key yep. on, the, on the open. Yeah, that's... And that's a hard thing to avoid because it, it sounds easy, but the thing is when you're dealing with you know, all this footage and sometimes, you know, just like with anything else on the computer, there could be lag. It could, you know, jump ahead of frame when you didn't, you didn't see it jump ahead of frame and you're really pretty sure you're on the, on the dot, but you're not. It happened to me like a bunch of times on YouTube until I uh, finally just got to a point where I will delete frames leading up to it to make sure there's nothing there. But none of the information I'm blurring out is anything people can't get in other ways. Because, you know, if I blur out an IP address, it's almost like, What's the point? Somebody does a dig command or NSLOOKUP against the domain, they have the IP. I, I don't need to blur it, but then again, I don't need to make it too easy either. It's just one of those uh, balance things. But if someone is um, scanning frame by frame in a video, and people do, believe me, I have seen the comments where people have, are getting information. And I'm thinking to myself, how long did you stare at this video to get that information? It's almost like a scavenger hunt and people find this fun to see what they can get out of a video. It's like a fun little hobby and it's just like, a, you know, find the Easter egg kind of thing. It's, uh, it's just amusing. When you see exercises like security cap, capture the flag and all of that, where you mm -hmm. have to find the, the vulnerabilities and exploit the server and all of that, it all starts with this. Um, you're facing a server, you need to find more information about it so that you know where to start and where to look for and all of that. So you're starting, you're going to start looking to the metadata information and the source code and all of that. All of that is freely available. Right click, view source, and you can view the source for any website out there. All the browsers let you do that. And that's freely available information. You're not breaking any laws doing that. When you start hacking, that's a different story. When you're just looking at what's out there freely for everybody, it's like looking at the billboard on the street. You're not breaking any laws there. Yeah, another thing I remember, and I, I'm not going to say the name of the podcast out of uh, you know care and security, but um, I remember a sponsor for such unnamed podcast was a company that lets you set up honeypots. So you know, it's it's interesting to have a sponsor like that where you're you're talking about a service to set up honeypots. And chances are they're probably using uh, chat transcripts of your podcast if they wanted to get into your network. And they'll know you're using honeypots because you're you're literally advertising this and, and saying on air, yeah, I use this and set up honeypots. And I'm thinking, well, you may as well not even bother setting up a honeypot now because everyone knows you're doing it. So, um, you know, it, it, that's not how people think because we I feel like at some point we are trusting even the most like... Um, untrustworthy or someone who doesn't seem to trust people as easily, there's still a default of trust in the far reaches of their mind. And sometimes, oh yeah, this taco dinner I had down the street is really good. I should tell people about it. They're not thinking anything beyond uh, wanting to help the business because they have good food and they think they're doing a favor and they probably are. But then again, you know, there's always a yin to the yang when it comes to this kind of thing. Yeah. And you're making your security team go crazy seeing those pictures. Um, mm -hmm. Again, larger corporations, they have teams of people specifically dedicated at reducing the footprint that you leave out there, precisely because of this. It's not just the risk to the company, it's their risk personally. Imagine somebody rich enough that people want to rob, so they're announcing their presence at some place, and that's a risk for the security people trying to keep them safe. So 
this information is not just for IT, it's obviously also for IT, but not just for IT. Physical security, your facility security, if you're posting information that shows the, the keypad that is used to put in the pin code to enter the building or something like that, that's too much information that you're putting out there. People can deduce the brand and the model and try to see if there's any firmware issues with the, that specific keypad that's used to, to type in the code. That's way too much information out there. And there are teams of people just scrubbing images out there just to avoid this being out in the open. So if you're yeah. concerned about security, at some point, there's a point in the growth of a company. A company starts small, obviously a startup, and it starts growing. There's this phase where people start looking at IT security, stronger authentication methods and the works and doing security training and all of that. And then past that point, there is a, a point where people start taking security seriously and they start looking at stuff like this and reducing the information that's leaked and reducing the security that the, the information that can be damaging to security that gets thrown out there and there is this stage that you grow through and when you reach that point you're going to have people specifically dedicated to avoiding this issue and to reducing mitigating the damage that might come from this and that's when you're going to have people nagging you that you need to stop posting to Facebook or you need to stop posting to Twitter or all the posts need to be vetted by them first. And yeah, again, a very serious security issue. This is literally why in the United States, a lot of the people in the White House literally squirm anytime somebody in power is posting stuff in social media and why at one point social media was completely banned from people um, that are of a certain job stature in government because of this very reason. And, and one of the best examples I could think of in recent history was the whole um, Elon Musk airplane tracker account on, on Twitter, for example. You know, that yeah. was a, that's a big example of this thing right here. Yeah. Again, if you don't have personal planes or if you're not concerned about that, then not a risk for you. But right, information yeah. like now that you mentioned the plane, information like Flight Radar Twenty Four, like the the boat tracking uh, website, for example. If you know that somebody's boarding flight so and so, you can even follow the damn flight on while it's in the air. You can know where when they take off and when they're gonna land. You know when they're not gonna be reachable by email. You know when they're not gonna be seeing the alerts and when they're not gonna be notified of something. And depending on the situation, that's very useful if you're deciding to launch an attack at that moment, if you're trying to breach a system, you know that during that time there won't be a response because nobody is looking at the alerts because somebody is flying and they are not reaching the internet at that point. Yeah, system administrator talking about their vacation in uh, Malibu or something, you know, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> they're clearly out of the office now that they're, they're on vacation. So, yeah, and there's going to be so many examples of this um, that, it, you know, it's just like, you just have to change your train of thought, I think, is just the best way to deal with this. And it just kind of keep this in mind when you are engaging with anything on the Internet. Absolutely. And sometimes not on the Internet. Sometimes not on the Internet. It's not just IT. Um, yeah, the, thanks for the suggestion about the OPSEC the, going into the title. Um, that was in the chat right now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we've covered a few tools that are used. Again, take a look at them. Realizing that have I been pound can be useful not just for you, but as an offensive tool, that might be a game changer for some people. Um, 
So yeah, I hope we, you found it useful. Um, it's a very interesting topic. We just barely scratched the surface on this, obviously. But um, yeah, we'll be back. Keep your an eye out for the job security episode. It's coming. If it's not the next one, it's because Western digital stuff just exploded again. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, thanks everybody who joined and until the next one. See ya. Bye.